going on, Packers fans? Aaron Nagler here, joined by Ben Fennel, ready to talk some more NFL draft, Packers, and whatever the hell else we feel like. Ben, how are you today? I'm doing fine. Sitting here, a beautiful Wednesday in Mount Laurel, New Jersey, on the cusp of the Super Bowl, the cusp of the Combine, on the cusp of a lot of off-season <laughs> optimism, I guess you could say. Right. Uh, it's, it's a good time to be alive here in New Jersey. Love it. Absolutely love it. Um, I did want to start with the needs of the Green Bay Packers, because God knows. We're going to spend the next couple you know, months, essentially, breaking down these prospects, looking at everything from their athletic traits to their scheme fit and all of that. But I want to start on the Packers side of things and where you feel the needs reside. Because I know it's interesting to watch kind of over the course of the 2023 season how, especially when they were struggling earlier, early in the year, how left tackle was just the obvious need. And then oh, they could even look at quarterback if Jordan Love continues to struggle. Then you fast forward to the end of the season, and it feels like the pendulum has completely swung as far oh, all these defensive needs are completely dominating the conversation. I just wanted to kind of talk through things with you a little bit, kind of removed from the season itself, and kind of hopefully dispassionately look at this roster and say, okay, this is this is kind of where they have to kind of start. Um, from my, on my end, I... I keep coming back to premium positions, right? We know the Packers tend to like to start there when they're looking at, you know, utilizing their premium picks, whether it's, it is left tackle or tackle in general, cornerback, pass rushers, things of that nature. Is there an area on this Packers roster where you think a number one, that's meeting every criteria of, okay, we have to start there as far as trying to build up the foundation of the roster. Well, it's funny to look back 10, eight months ago and look at this team, and it's kind of a sobering exercise to let mm. the season play out. And the mm. dust has settled. Could you imagine going into last summer and just the unpredictability dust storm you had mentioned from quarterback <laughs> to left tackle to seemingly the entire team not knowing where they stood and what the future of the team was? Now some of the dust has settled in, and now you can look to the future and – there's a lot of promise on this team, and suddenly you're playing with some house money with young players, and this might be one of the young, exciting, up-and-coming teams for the next you know, two, three seasons till they really solidify themselves as a perennial contender that they hope to be. But, Aaron, I think we are due for an exhausting draft season, as we seemingly always are here in Green Bay, <laughs> just like last year on the should they take a quarterback there. Well, we're going to deal with the whole philosophy of team need versus roster-building philosophy. Because a lot of those needs you had mentioned, the proverbial secondary, the nickels, the safeties, the off-ball linebackers, the running backs, not really those premium positions you go in the first round and take. Now, certainly the offensive line, the edges, the trenches, the fringe positions like corner, those are the ones you want to address. So it's going to be that battle of need versus roster building philosophy that Gutekunst has. So I think just when we know what they're going to do, they take an off-ball linebacker in the first round. Yeah. So, you know, I example, think trying right? to line up what they're going to do based on need and philosophy is going to be exhausting. So the mock drafts are going to be a spin-the-wheel type of springtime, <laughs> and uh, right. I expect to see literally everything outside of the quarterback. What about Ben Fennel? If you are the general manager, say, and you're looking at this roster and you're thinking, I have to address this, whatever this or X or whatever is on your kind of to-do list, Ben, what are you looking at, looking at the Packers roster, where there may be holes? And of course, they are switching uh, schematics on the defensive side, so who knows exactly what they are looking for, but 
in your eyes, where's the number one need uh, on this Packers roster? I think it's offensive line. And I am a coals in the furnace type of guy. When in doubt, <laughs> go to the trenches. Now, I don't have sure. any tattoos, but I'm exploring that saying across my back there. <laughs> because when in doubt, go to the trenches. Keep adding coals to the furnace there. Because those are the lifebloods of both sides of the ball that make it tick. That keep the opposing quarterback under pressure. That keep your quarterback upright. That build through the run game. And depth is going to be tested. And it's most often tested at those positions. Now, we survived a season very impressive with a patchwork O-line here and there and, you know, some young players having to step up. Keep building through the trenches, particularly with premium picks through the draft because there is a huge drop-off every year of mm. offensive tackle, edge rusher, interior defensive lineman right around pick 30-40 where the talent level just seemingly goes off a cliff. So those premium players get pushed up, rightfully so, but you better go get them while you're there. And if you have a middle of the first round, top of the first round type of draft capital, you better make it worthwhile and go get one of those premium position players that I think live in the trenches if you're not looking at quarterback or corner and some of those other positions out there. So my kind of default, throw a dart at the board, go to the trenches. I would like offensive line, maybe secure that center, right guard of the future, maybe left tackle of the future. I do applaud Rasheed Walker in every snap that he played last season. Very impressive. That's why you take flyers on seventh round upside tackles like Rasheed Walker that has a lot of growth and ability. But if you want to go and replace that, not replace, but look to the future of Kenny Clark, who is seemingly now one of the older players on this roster, which is crazy to think. <laughs> I just looked at the ages. Aaron right. Jones, 29, Elton, 28, Kenny, 28. You're some of the older guys on the roster, which is crazy. You blinked, and all of a sudden, they're the Wiley vets. So looking to the future <laughs> on those trench players, it's never a wrong way to go. I couldn't agree more, especially coming off a season where we saw a stretch where they were throwing out Royce Newman as a starter. I mean, that tells you all you need to know about their depth or lack thereof at points throughout the season. And to your point, yeah, Walker played really well down the stretch. I thought he was one of the more improved players on the roster. But this idea, and we've talked about it a little bit here on Cheesehead TV, that your quote set is a dangerous way to think. And I think you're always winning up front. You're winning the line of scrimmage. And you are hopefully opening a window of contention. And you want to do so by improving along the offensive line, improving that kind of floor that you're operating out of. Like to your point, like make what if Walker becomes the swing tackle, I think you're winning, you know, as far as if you do land somebody day one or even day two or hell day three, because the Packers have had such success identifying offensive linemen on day three and finding very, you know, viable starters, whatever you can do to bolster the work you're doing up front. I think it only adds to the mix and long-term helps your quarterback, helps your offense and helps your team. I, I couldn't agree more with that. Um, switching over and kind of looking down the line as far as the defensive needs and switching schemes and things that you know you're going to have to improve on, not only given what you've got on hand, but you are making a pretty, not a drastic switch, but you are starting over per se on the defensive side of the ball. If you are looking at, say, safety versus corner, if you're looking between those two safe, those two groups positionally, I don't know enough about this draft class yet to say, oh, there's going to be plenty of those guys available on day three or those types later in the draft. 
Is there one that you you think you would prioritize over the other, just in regards to either finding starters or definitely adding kind of depth across the across the board? Well, it's a sub package league, so I think looking at this Packers roster, seemingly with three empty spots at that free strong and nickel as we sit today, I think it's certainly a prioritization to go get a starting caliber player in this draft to fill one of those spots hoping that a healthy Eric Stokes and Jair can kind of man the corner spots and you have Carrington Valentine as a nice depth piece. And we'll see if you could bring back a Keyshawn Nixon to add some stability. But I think those safety spots are going to be all over the place on day two, you know, and this is where you get your Jalen Petries your Javon Hollins your Brian branches. It doesn't look like any of these safeties are going to get thrusted up to the first round like Tyler Newbin or Cam Kitchens or Kalen Bullock out of USC or Javon Bullard out of Georgia. Some intriguing ones are going to be right there in round two and round three. And seemingly there's going to be some nice players on day three. It's that cat and mouse on whether you think you can roll the dice and find that starter in round four and five. Or maybe this Packers team wants to add some veteran depth or a veteran presence as well. So I think need and draft need also goes a little bit with saying free agency need. And this is that weird cyclone time period where we haven't hit free agency. So there's tons of needs, tons of holes on these rosters. These teams are not ready to play a game. And my philosophy is, Aaron, you go into the draft ready to play a game. Then you don't really have those glaring needs and you you, you don't reach and things like that. So you kind of need that free agency dust to settle a little bit. But I think going after a secondary member, particularly a versatile secondary member, one that's maybe played some corner, played some nickel, played some safety, like a Mike Sandstrill at Michigan, who would be a great nickel type of presence. That I think is everything we wanted at a Darnell Savage coming out of Maryland, just a little bit more refined. So I think maybe going back to the well there, shooting another shot and an explosive nickel would be a great piece there for this Packers defense. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply talking about like you know finding guys who the Packers will like and something we know that the Packers have absolutely liked over the course of the last decade plus is the senior bowl right <laughs> the senior bowl has been I'm not going to say a pipeline but it's certainly been you know a place where guys have been kind of planting their flag as far as okay we had a really good week of practice really showed out in the game more often than not that has put guys on the Packers radar uh, who do you think helped themselves the most coming off the senior bowl? Not maybe not necessarily for the Packers, but certainly again, anybody who shined at the senior bowl seems to be on their radar. Who do you think coming out of mobile kind of up their stock a little bit? Well, there's a couple guys and I love the ones that get an opportunity to show something different. And I think that starts with cornerback Quinian Mitchell out of Toledo. He's a group of five corner. A lot of people had some questions about level of competition, not to mention a corner that played about 5% of press coverage. So you wanted to see him go against the top of the top in the power five and play some press coverage. So I think the senior bowl lets these guys get out of their schemes a little bit and show off what they can do as individuals. So I love the opportunity and then him obviously answering the bell. So suddenly you start checking those boxes of questions you had coming in 
And this is a really impressive corner that I think is going to be a first round pick all day long based on that mobile kind of box checking. So another guy like Missouri's Darius Robinson, who is an off the bus guy. This guy's muscles are glistening. He looks the part out there, but he's in that weird three, three, five front at Missouri where he's playing head up on tackles, a lot of four, a lot of inside alignments where you don't get to see a hulking six, five, 290 pound edge rusher with a runway. So it's nice to see him wanting some one-on-ones with an edge and to kind of blow through some half-man tackles and see things they didn't get an opportunity every down, you know, on their Saturday tape. So some other guys like Christian Haynes out of UConn. I don't think we were spending a lot of Saturdays watching UConn. Uh, I haven't poured over the UConn tape yet, Ben. That is our, true. That's couches. very true. I haven't studied a lot of UConn <laughs> prospects lately. I think going back to like Donald Brown uh, way back when. But Christian right. Haynes looked good out there as a nimble-footed zone-blocking interior offensive lineman. And Jackson Powers Johnson out of Georgia or out of Oregon. This guy's 330 pounds as a center. That is rare, rare company to be that big as a center. That's very much a Ryan Jensen or a Creed Humphrey, barrel chested, massive, mauler type. Man, every team's going to want this guy on their team. Roman Wilson, receiver out of Michigan, absolutely unguardable. Had, that first day was insane. Unguardable. Aaron, that first out day, there. I couldn't believe. Like every throw, he's like. They pan the senior bowl camera, and he's wide open, like every time. Okay, just could not stay on him in a run-first offense at Michigan. Everyone's wondering, why not give him all these targets in a high volume? Well, that Michigan O-line and Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards are a pretty good philosophy, too, considering they just went undefeated and won the national championship. Roman Wilson, 4-3 kid out of Hawaii. I think his best football is ahead of him. Reminds me a lot of Sterling uh, Shepard coming out of Oklahoma a few years back. And this Jarvis Brownlee, corner out of Louisville, feisty transfer from Florida State. He's from South Florida. I don't know what it is. You want your corners from South Florida. They're just different. <laughs> they're faster. They're feistier. They're nasty. They're just made in Petri dishes to cover receivers in the NFL. So Jarvis Brownlee, ultra competitive corner there out of Louisville. I think those five, six guys there really capitalized on their week in Mobile. Talking about coming off the Senior Bowl, and before we started recording, we were talking about the fact that, you know, we're on the stretch now where we're a couple weeks away from the Combine. What do you make of kind of i guess it's not really recent because it's been happening now for a a number of years but this idea that guys now go into combine prep right the fact that we've got this whole career that they've put on tape in college and now they kind of not going to say change or sculpt or mold whatever for the combine but they certainly do start like speed training and going over what the q a will be with teams and things of that nature to kind of hone what this interview process is over the course of the week in Indianapolis. What do you make of combine training as opposed to just, you know, continuing your training and getting ready for the NFL? Well, as long as the tests and the metrics are going to have an influence on decision-making, which there is a perception that it does, I'm not going to say whether it does or it doesn't, (laughs) obviously 32 front uh, front offices, you'll probably get 32 different answers there. But as long as the perception of its value is there, there's going to be emphasis to do well on those metrics. So I think there's that perceived notion that if I do better in, as testing at the combine, I will then increase my chances of you know my draft slot or landing with a roster. And believe me, that's the philosophy of agencies and player representatives. They then want to get their numbers better. So they're then offer, going to offer the money to go to these training facilities. It's just the nature of the beast right now with the perception of these tests and the 
RAS scores and spark scores and things like that. But it's yeah. important to always remember the purpose of the combine was to streamline medicals. Let's get every player to one destination so we can do it all together and everybody gets the same information. Then it's, hey, if they have them all here, let's talk to them. Let's interview them. Great. Medicals, interview, then way down the list, what happens on the field and the testing. Yeah. So just always remember that we had them there. Let's work them out. But that's not why the combine was created. That's not the information you're really there to acquire. But now you are acquiring it. And what do we do with it? Suddenly you play 2,500 snaps on Saturdays. It doesn't all of a sudden get overruled by a bad 40 or a bad broad jump or a trip in the 45 backpedal transition, you know, drill. So I think it's always quick to remember the tape is your football DNA. And then everything else is who you are as an athlete and a person and a member of society. And all that stuff matters. And it's going to matter different percentages of different people. That's really well put. And it's funny to watch how the NFL has kind of made the combine into such a tentpole event in their calendar. Clearly, it drives all sorts of stuff as far as everyone from the NFL world being in the same town for a week, essentially. And that's not just players and their reps, but teams and their personnel and coaching and whatever. But of course, the assembled media. But now the way fans are able to kind of descend and take part somewhat, you know, in the, in the event, of, you know, the experience the nfl experience event it's amazing to me that it goes back to exactly what you're talking about it's being able all 32 teams being able to basically fill out a spreadsheet as far as the medical what what the uh athletic testing says and get in front of these kids and get a little face time it is essentially a very simple thing and an important thing that they've blown up into this huge media event i mean i'm all I'm somewhat incredulous, but I'm also kind of impressed. You know, the, the fact that it is so, it should be so benign, but they've made it such a huge event. It's impressive. Yeah, and draft coverage in general has blown up from the year-round draft coverage to the Twitter scouts, Twitter draft right. communities, things like that, that these events get sensationalized. And Aaron, everybody wants to go behind the magic door and say, what's the future? <laughs> Who's next? Who's next? Where are they going to land? If right. you could ask fans, if you could have the results the next season, tomorrow, would you want to have them? A lot of people would. And that isn't the game. Enjoy no. the ride of it all. So I think there's this kind of over-eagerness to say, what's next? What's next? Who's next? And that kind of encompasses the draft and the combine, as that really is a who's next type of process. It just gets sensationalized by these teams wanting to get there already, wants to get to the future. So um you know, evaluating these players is a sports debate like any other topic. So I think it's fun for that machine and it's fun for looking to the future. And the sensationalism of it all is kind of in the eye of the beholder. And I'm sitting here at NFL Films, literally working on the combine content right now for the coverage. Um, so I'm a bit of that evil empire as well for these events. No, no, but, all the stuff you do is good. We know this. <laughs> but this is, uh, you know, the year-round calendar the NFL wants. So uh, if you love football, this is this is your world. That's what it's all about. Um, speaking of loving football, I spent this past Sunday really kind of aimlessly wandering through my life, realizing that that was the first Sunday without NFL football in a long time. I didn't know what to do with myself. And now we've got one final football game coming up that matters on Sunday in the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you your thoughts on this because, I mean, I think this is a great matchup. I know the Packers should be playing in this game, and I'm pissed that they're not. But I also know that the 49ers are a formidable foe 
for the Kansas City Chiefs. How do you see this game playing out? I don't have a whole lot of personal fandom or stakes in this. If there's a Cinderella story, I'm into it. I was into Lamar, Josh Allen, maybe getting right. Lombardi to diversify things. But I'm also kind of a – I have a soft spot for some humans too. So the Trent Williams of the world deserves a Super Bowl. You know, yeah. I love the Kyle Juszczyk's of the world. I'm a huge fan of Christian McCaffrey. I like Fred Warner. I like the journey that Chark Ward has been on. Kyle Shanahan I think is a Super Bowl caliber winning coach. I want to see these guys get those badges. You know, I don't like the Charles Barkley's of the world that get stuck in that Jordan era or, you know, the right. Philip Rivers uh, stuck in the Brady era. I want those guys that really deserve those badges to get them. So I'm a little bit soft for the 49ers right now. And I, I want to see some of those guys get that merit that I think they're deserving of. I love Spagnola. I love Andy Reid. The Chiefs have, have some amazing players as well. But the 49ers, I think some of those guys are really deserving of it. And I'd like to see them come out on top. But as a fan, just give me a close game, something competitive. You know, that uh, critical error by the quarterback, I think, is going to kind of decide the game a lot like last year, that Jalen Hurts right. sack fumble touchdown. So I think who's going to maybe take care of the ball best, not make the most plays. So um, as a fan, I'd like to see a close game and maybe a little edge to the Niners there for some of those uh, those legends like Trent Williams. See, I'm uh, I'm rooting for the Chiefs because then my girls will be happy because Taylor Swift will win. So oh, there you <laughs> go. That's, that's about it. That's about <laughs> it on my end as far. But look, I'm with you as far, especially the Trent Williams thing. I mean, it's so crazy to me how it's not so as prevalent in NFL discourse as it is in say like the NBA, right? Like ring culture and the whole idea of rings. And if you didn't win a ring, you're nothing or all of that. So for like to that end, man. There are so many great players who come through the NFL who haven't won rings. So when you find somebody like a Trent Williams, who is a generational talent, like absolutely lock solid, one of the best to ever do it, I'm with you. Like if the 49ers were to win, that's what I would kind of glom onto, right? The fact that there are great players and coaches who are certainly deserving, who will be able to stand there and know that they are their champion for the rest of their life. That's amazing. But at the same time, I can't deny greatness. You know, Patrick Mahomes, it's interesting to watch him play the position, right? After we watched Brady go on the run, he went on with the Patriots in, in a, a couple different iterations, right? Like, there was a pretty significant span of time where the Patriots didn't win anything. And then they got back to winning, right? In kind of in a different manner. I look at Mahomes and the way he plays the position, and it's certainly different than Brady's. I'm just interested to see how far he can take this. Because don't forget, like, I think middle of this season, hell, probably when the Packers played them and beat them, you know, they were not a championship caliber squad. They were not playing championship caliber football. But to watch how well they've kind of gelled and coalesced down the stretch between what Andy Reid has adjusted to offensively, but certainly Spagnola on the defensive side. I mean, that's greatness, man. That's that's not to be denied in my book. And I, I, that's where I'm like, I'm not upset if Kansas city wins this thing again, because it's rare that we get to see greatness at this level is so consistently from year to year. I mean, that's, that's truly impressive from Andy Reid and company. If yeah, it really is special. Now Brady is special in a different regard. I put Brady with like a tiger and a Jordan, very special in like that individual vacuum. Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid might be one of the greatest marriages of talent and scheme and coaching in the history of sports. Right. right up there with Walsh and Montana. This is Walsh and Montana, literally on steroids. 
<laughs> and I think Agreed. it's the beautiful balance of it all, you know, and I think it's the guys that Andy Reid can be creative and get guys open. And that obviously magical right arm and athleticism of, you know, Patrick Mahomes, just when you're ready to push the chips to one side and say, oh, it's all him. The other side kind of weighs it back. And the, the pendulum of, you know, that scales of justice, I think, are right down the middle in Kansas City. And that's right. the beautiful thing. And that's how it should be. And I think it's always important to remember it's talent and it's scheme. And the best ones are the ones that marry the two together. So whether that's Kyle and, you know, Brock Purdy or Andy and Patrick Mahomes, it's the balance of the two of those. And when you get an Andy, an elite play caller, an elite designer, an elite offensive mind with an elite right arm, an elite athleticism, an elite mind like Mahomes, you get four Super Bowls in five years and on the verge of one of the young dynasties in sports right now. It's really exciting. And um, I'm just afraid of these young quarterbacks are going to get now get caught in the Mahomes era uh-huh. as I'm right. so pained of guys like Philip Rivers that got caught mm-hmm. in the Manning or the, in the Manning and the Brady era. And, you know, I just like those narratives. And I think it's just sports for you. Dynasties are good for, for, good for sports. But on the backside of it, you have those heartbreakers, too. And I think that's the uh, the emotional kind of ebbs and flows of this game. I can't wait. Till next week, and we can completely overreact to the Super Bowl and talk about what it means for all the teams going forward and how the Packers react to it. And that's uh, that's that's the fun. That's the fun part. I can't wait. Next week, Aaron, we might find out who's throwing or not throwing at the combine. It Let's go. Be can overreact all to all that. Absolutely. Oh, I've got so many thoughts on that, but we will uh, we will table that for next week. Uh, ben, I can't thank you enough for the time, man. Uh, talk to you soon. Yeah.